Good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Living Fiction Podcast, Cheeky Memoirs of How a DID System Came Manipulator's Personal Puppet Show, twice. I am your host and the gatekeeper of the Living Fiction System, Zaxalari Icarus. The trigger warnings for this blog, Just As Real As You, taking place in summer of 2015, are as follows. Abusive relationships existential issues, non-reality, gore, violence, drunkenness, and memory loss. Neither Xanther I know if Nebula considered this all a role play. She did, based on dialogue, seem to know that the only way she could contact a majority of her friends was via a laptop. I remember her feeling terrified when someone would be in danger or when she herself was threatened, as if someone afraid they wouldn't wake up after dying in a dream. That being said, she was abnormally attached to her laptops. We never did have the best quality. They were prone to viruses and what we later found to be scareware. At one particular instance, when the body was 17 years of age, She was tuned into our in-world, and a pop-up, accompanied by an inhuman-sounding shriek, burst into consciousness in the wee hours of the morning. The pop-up itself was the usual tech-based fear-mongering. Your computer is infected, all files will be deleted, but the screams. They didn't even respond to volume controls. It just kept going, perhaps triggering delusions, hallucinations, or even visions of a future I couldn't see. Somehow, in the middle of the breakdown, Neb ended up under the impression that these were the dying screams of her friends. She took the battery out of the laptop and sat, shaking uncontrollably. It wasn't long before April texted her, snapping at her for not being online in an active part of her puppet show. There's a virus. I think it's threatening to kill our friends. I don't know. I I don't know. I'm scared. Just download antivirus software, stupid. April said, responding with her usual empathy. This is why you need to get a Mac. They don't have these issues. You don't understand. I'm terrified. I don't want my friends to die. Did Neb give April inspiration in that moment? Fed up with what was likely a result of too little sleep and too much constant fear, April finally exploded with, If you're that scared of your friends dying, then you don't deserve to have friends. I was taken aback by this. There was too much to wonder at in this single sentence. Neb paused before finally texting back. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Xanth was born and raised in the inworld. Anyone who's ever met Xanth could guess that it's much more familiar with how a Methuselah pureblood turns a human into a vampire than it is how to drive a car. Our inworld could, at times, be just as traumatizing as the outer world. It sometimes even mirrors it. Have you ever seen the anime Black Rock Shooter? April showed us this anime back in 2012. It shows two separate timelines and dimensions, each happening simultaneously. One features a group of school friends in one mundane sort of world through the general trials of adolescence. And as this group of friends would struggle through interpersonal conflicts, they would have these dystopian alter egos that would fight it out in the other world. I watched this show with eerie, spine-tingling fascination, particularly when the group of girls grow more aware that this other world existed. 
and they find out that one of them had traded places with their dystopian counterpart a long time ago. This person didn't want to have to face reality and left it to live in another world parallel to ours. I was born of the outer world, but adapted into the inworld. Xanth was the opposite, homegrown inside the headspace, then left to wreak havoc in reality. Therefore, when our life was falling apart on the inside and the outside, I decided the division of labor. Neither was pleasant. Everything that can happen in the outer world can happen in the inworld, with all the sensations persistently present. Xanth had been stabbed, set ablaze, nearly drowned, beaten, fed on by multiple vampires, and has had their hearts stop. If they haven't experienced a sensation in the outer world, the system makes an educated guess on how things ought to feel, you know, to make the experience more realistic. Xanth and I had quarreled about this recently. Indignant and possibly more than a little self-pitying, they had snapped. Oh, so I was basically a stunt double that had nerve endings. Wasn't that the time Prosper ran me through with a fucking sword? I stared at them. Yes, while I was handling April, and you were primarily only out to get drunk, vent to cotton, and cheat on April with AJ. Zant squinted at me thoughtfully. You know, comparatively, being stabbed was probably preferable. Mm-hmm. Needless to say... The division of labor wasn't perfect. Xanth seemed determined to drink themselves into a stupor whenever they knew they were due to hang out around April, which had led to mishaps. Cotton had recently announced that this would be his last year in Savannah. He was due to move to Atlanta by the next summer, as April and Xanth sat across from one another at Rocks in the River restaurant. April seemed determined to let it be known how much Cotton leaving didn't bother her. It's not like it'll change anything, she shrugged. He acts like him moving will affect me, like I don't have any other friends. Xanth nodded absently, sipping a glass of brute. Amusingly, the association between British comedy and escaping April via imbibing had created a Pavlov effect, and each sip summoned a familiar tune. remember what that's like having friends outside of cotton april asked the way she coyly baited an actual response from her captive reminded me of a child tapping the glass of a reptile tank she seemed to delight in provoking zant's barely hidden loathing for the situation we had to both fulfill the duties of partners without feeling a shred of romance for our jailer it felt like we as a system were an exotic pet to show off who'd recently been trained not to bite when forced to perform tricks. Xanth frowned. I have plenty of friends, they said, giving intolerable acquaintances and colleagues what I thought was a rather wide berth. April smiled and rested her chin on her hands, looking up at Xanth through her lashes. Real friends? I felt the body stiffening. Xanth's voice was cold when they said, they are real friends. April smiled and falter. Just as real as you? I had to fight through what I can only describe as a slosh of intoxication before arriving at the front and pulling Xanth back just to give a nondescript reply. 
or perhaps none at all. I really don't function well while I'm drunk. The relationship portion of Zant's life was turning absurdly dark. I myself had to endure a dozen or so sudden lip-bruising kisses and April laying on me just to establish dominance. I'd witnessed both Neb and Zant pining for her, treating every rare bit of affection like it was a luxurious treat a little over two years before, and now this new hyper-affectionate April seemed like a sick joke when we couldn't say no. One time, April and I were looking for a place to sit down within Gallery Espresso. Gallery Espresso, if anyone has ever experienced it, is a mismatched collection of furniture where laptops flock to roost. At that time, we had an old Dell with a failing battery that needed plugged in to manage more than a half hour runtime. Unfortunately, none of the seats near a wall outlet were yet available, forcing myself and April to awkwardly sit at our table with nothing less but our teas and mutual disdain. When a coveted table next to an outlet was free, we announced our intent to move. April opted to stay behind, which might as well have been a red flag in communist Russia at this point. I let Xanth relish in their time to write. It was one of those stolen moments that seemed to keep their morale up. After about a half hour, Xanth noticed that April had also found herself a table, and that their duties as a punching bag could be multitasked alongside their writing career. Lifting our Dell, we walked back to the table. Mind if I join you? I asked. I don't know. April snapped back. I blinked. You don't know? I don't know. Maybe I don't want to sit with someone who loves electrical outlets more than me. I could actually feel Xanth gearing up to say, Hmm, want to test that theory? How about you fight one with a fork and I'll love whoever wins? But after some struggle, I managed to choke out and I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Close calls were frequent. I didn't always have such luck in this department. As mentioned, intoxication definitely weakened my presence and strengthened Xanth's. And, well, they'd had a rough time within the in-world. An ever-frequent conflict with an altar who'd suddenly turned against them ended in them being backhanded down a flight of stairs. Their feelings were about as bruised as their body, so when Cotton suggested a night of bar hopping, Xanth readily agreed. I love how recounting this trauma is starting to turn into a Coastal Empire tourist catalog, which, you know, if they want to start paying us, go ahead. The final destination of the night was planned to be Matahari, a novelty bar with a speakeasy theme and method of access. One had to give the password for entry, which delighted Xanth endlessly. And because Xanth couldn't go anywhere off-leash, April was invited as a barely-tolerated caveat. Cotton and Xanth met with April after starting off with a couple of cocktails at the Grey, then met up with April at Onda's. The goal was to pass the time at a few bars before ending up at the fabled speakeasy, and April, who weighed the least out of all of us, persistently kept up with her companions. While in Matahari, April was left at the bar as Cotton and Xanth were dancing to swing and jazz music in that way that drunk white people do. She loudly complained that their dancing, an expression of exuberance and joy, was driving her to drink. And drink she did. While they were resting on one of those antique couches, Xanth felt something unexpected and wet on their forearm. They pulled their forearm away from April's line of drool just in time to avoid the vomit that splashed onto the antique carpeting. 
they're outside in the world with me able to watch but powerless to help in the midst of Zant's heavy intoxication. There's someone else, though. Someone who would later reveal his name to be Jasper was triggered outward. So then I had two functioning, alcoholic, impulsive knuckleheads handling a situation where our jailer could have been dying of alcohol poisoning, which was just fantastic. I may have pre-gamed, April confessed through heaving. And you choose now to spill after we get bum-rushed? Jasper griped. So it's Xanth and Jasper sharing one body and one brain cell, Cotton doing his best, and April vomiting in the alley in front of one of Savannah's most exclusive bars. Cotton was repeatedly running in to get glasses of water from the bouncer, who was not at all amused by the situation and was asking angrily if we needed to call an ambulance. No, no, we've got it all under control, mate, slurred Xanth, who didn't even have themselves under control. At one point, they attempted to use some of that famous hospitality tact to convince this bouncer not to be justifiably irate. I'm certain in their own view of themselves, they were the picture of eloquent negotiation and saved the night through sheer charisma. What I actually heard was, Hello! Sorry, I'm a concierge in the area. Listen, we had to take her along. She pre-gamed and didn't tell us. I don't like it either. But we're fine. We're both fine. Cotton, we're fine, right? I'm a concierge. Anyway, it's all just going to be just Jake. Jasper cut in there. Like I said, one brain cell. And I love this place. It's a wonderful establishment. That thing you do with the cotton candy and champagne? Just brilliant, mate. Bloody genius. You're, you're an actual speakeasy. I'm a concierge. The bouncer, realizing that further berating would just be lost to the haze, told the hapless group to beat it, as Jasper would say. There was a blurry bit where Cotton and Xanth slash Jasper carried April in between them from the Matahari to the Hyatt, where there was a hotel bathroom that wasn't too closely safeguarded from non-guests. After escorting April to the bathroom, Cotton sat with Xanth slash Jasper... Zasper? In the lobby. Through the enduring magic of alcohol and the thought of greasy bar food, they had an idea and pursued it. See, Churchill's pub was closing within the hour, and it was just across the street. Fast forward to ten minutes later, they're both seated at a table at 12 a.m., having just ordered, with Cotton asking, Wait, did we leave April at the Hyatt? Zasper stared into space for a solid minute before they both finally said, Oh, fuck. It took a bit of frantic calling, but they managed to lure a still green April across a five-lane street and into the pub with the promise of a large pretzel. I'm not entirely certain, but I think the entire debacle may have been a subconscious assassination attempt. Not that April didn't wreak revenge on Xanth for this. She always did. This time, to summarize an ever-convoluted string of events, Koji and Prosper had a conflict just as dramatic as could be expected from that household. Koji, in response to some trauma or another he had been dealt, had expressed that he would like the entire night wiped from his memory. Well, this is something the in-world is definitely capable of, but only specific alters can make that happen. Xanth, myself, Dominic, and Vex. 
So when Prosper attempted to do this on his own, the Inworld decided to tell him that this was the wrong move by making it a botched attempt. Koji exhibited all of the symptoms of this, enterograde, amnesia, nosebleeds, dizziness. It was indicative of a brain injury that could prove fatal if left untreated. Xanth had heard about this and showed up to their house in a huff to undo the damage that Prosper had done, frankly indignant that he even attempted such a thing. But Prosper was going into a spiral of, maybe it's better if we both die then. Obviously I'm a failure as a father since he's traumatized, and also fuck you for existing, you're not touching my son. That's paraphrased. Xanth was insistent. Look, Koji might be dying. This is dangerous. You can have your breakdown later, but let me just fix the kid. Paraphrase because, again, this conversation went on a lot longer than it needed to. Eventually, exasperated by Prosper's unwillingness for free help, Xanth pushed past him on the staircase to get to Koji. Xanth was most of the way through undoing Prosper's mistake when Prosper decided, in an uncharacteristic, see, April influence, overreaction to grab his sword and try to slice Xanth in half, diagonally from the right shoulder on. Vex fortunately intervened just in time to tackle Prosper, which resulted in an odd half-slice, half-stab via his katana that managed to go most of the way through Xanth's shoulder and part of their torso. Let me reiterate a very important fact. We feel everything that happens to us in the in-world. The tearing of muscle, the hot, viscous feeling of blood, the firing of nerve endings, instincts screaming through every synapse that death was on the horizon. Xanth clawed into Koji's shoulders, still practically knee-deep in the younger man's subconscious. Xanth tried to say something with boasting, along the lines of, Watch me do a better job while I'm bleeding to death! But when their mouth opened, a bit of black blood, yes, they literally bleed ink, it's a thing, pulled in a line out of their mouth. They quickly closed it again. Xanth managed to hold on until Koji was sorted, then both of them fainted. Xanth was probably glad they're unconscious, for Vex and Prosper were locked in a vicious battle over their respective children, with Aberly trying to get them both to stop. I never really knew what would happen if Xanth died in the inworld. Would they lose access to the inside? Would we have to change hosts again? Would the body go comatose? I had no desire to test this. I was sifting through the minds of all I had access to at that moment. Sound was the closest. I was able to persuade her through what must have been, like, subconscious whisperings to call Romeo to send a healer over. April had appeared seemingly out of nowhere. I can remember thinking that it was odd. Both Xanth and April usually got around by the help of someone that could teleport. But then I was suddenly convinced that she had been in the same building the entire night. I'm not sure if the inworld or herself created that effect. I was too used to it to ever question it. But there April was, walking across the living room and positioning herself on top of Xanth to straddle their chest. Xanth gasped and bit back a yelp, turning it into an airy chuckle. They looked at April. <laughs> Good lord, <laughs> if your ass is visiting me, I might actually be dying. April shrugged. I didn't give you permission to die. I feel as though she meant that to be cute, but in our current hostage situation, it was terrifying. 
especially since it prompted Xanth to start brainstorming ways to shorten its lifespan as an act of defiance, a habit which it hasn't yet forsaken. Xanth smiled tightly. I couldn't pretend to be them within the inworld, so I was using all of my influence and silently pleading with them to be cordial. Why not? My funeral might be the only event where I can't say anything to piss you off. April shifted her weight. Xanth's writhing was involuntary. What funeral? Xanth laughed dryly. Apparently, April wasn't joking. What funeral? She repeated, as if talking to someone who had sustained brain damage. Neb didn't have a funeral. Why would you? Your body's just gonna keep walking around like you were never there. No one will ever know that you died. Then you'll just ask me to call you something else, and then we're gonna start this bullshit all over again. She sounded exasperated by this concept. I'm not sure if April was, in a rare moment of warmth, trying to convince her partner not to die, or as if she were aiming for every haunting thought Xanth had ever suffered. Xanth stared at her, speechless, and after a moment began shivering so hard that their teeth chattered. Meanwhile, I was having my own existential crisis. This sort of escalation, this gore, this suffering, it was becoming commonplace in this world. If all of these people weren't independent of me, and would cease to suffer if I simply stopped communication with myself and April's, why didn't I? What was there to be gained? I liked Xanth. As exasperating as I find them most days, I recognize them as everything Neb wished she could be, and everything Neb romanticized. And there they are, suffering from a rare pain on the outside, but all too common within. You're such a writer. Are you ever going to say anything from your own mouth, or are you going to keep pulling the third-person omniscient bullshit? Is it someone new? Is it someone new? I zoned out to the outer world. I was in a familiar position of being hunched over a laptop with a new window blinking in the corner. It was addressed to a messaging account that used to be Neb's, and had just automatically signed in. It was from an account that looked to be named after one of April's characters, someone she drew frequently, someone who was supposedly her dead-in-the-womb twin brother. For the sake of being anonymous, let's say that this account was called Kieran Psalm. I paused. It wasn't unusual for April to introduce new cast. In one particularly ill-advised time, she tried to introduce a boy and butler pair called Sierru and Sebastian. It was dropped abruptly when she learned that Nebula actually liked and had been watching Black Butler. But this seemed more organic. Guardian Angel, I'm talking to you. I could hear them as I read the words. It almost sounded like April's voice, almost. It was deeper, but with the same accent and inflections. I wanted to talk to you. You're all that's left of Neb, aren't you? I thought about ignoring them. They might have guessed at my pulling of strings that I did to make sure everyone was safe, and I had no desire to be told that this was against the rules. But something made me use my voice for perhaps the first time since Neb died. I don't know what I am, but I don't want my friends to die. The voice paused. You don't have to keep hiding. I know I'm not. People like to say I don't exist either, but here I am. I don't know what that means. 
I typed to them, then I paused. Are you April's dead twin? I was never born over there, but I'm alive over here, Karen said, and I don't want to be a secret anymore. And you shouldn't be either. That was the beginning of the most grievous mistake I have ever made. Oh, <laughs> oh,